Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. This episode is top fuel racer Josh Hart and NHRA on Fox analyst Tony Pedregon. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Wrap up the swing and talk about Topeka. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polacek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher! Wow! What an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and we have a great show for you today with uh, Josh Hart and Tony Pedregon. Josh going to be talking about the fact that uh, he was going to come back for the rest of the season starting in Topeka. That looks like it's going to happen in Brainerd now. We're going to talk to him about all that. And of course, Tony Pedregon, we're going to talk about the Western Swing which teams are kind of carrying momentum out of it, which teams would like to forget it ever happened, and which teams really need to um, kind of figure it out in a hurry because the regular season is uh, effectively only three races if we count Topeka, only two races if we don't, uh, left before we conclude and go into the countdown. And there will be some shucking and jiving, especially when we get into the funny car category of that top ten who's going to land where. It's a crazy jumbled up mess. And then we look at top fuel. We know who's number one but who is going to really kind of uh, shake their way out. And there is some question if Josh Hart can put together a couple of good races. Uh, he is not too far away from being able to bounce his way in to that top 10 as well. So plenty of storylines to talk about. Pro stock as well. Aaron Stanfield has just looked so good over the last several weeks, and he's picked up multiple wins and continues to be the proverbial thorn in the side of uh, one Greg Anderson, who is still seeking that 97th career victory to tie Warren Johnson on the all-time list. I want to talk about something away from the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series for a brief moment. As last weekend, I went to Firebird Raceway in Eagle, Idaho, just outside of Boise, to be part of their 2021 running of the Night Fire Nationals, the 50th time this race has been run. It is one of the longest-running singular events, self-produced events uh, in the world of drag racing. Really, it's uh, I think it's probably second or third when we talk about the U.S. Nationals. We talk about the World Series of Drag Racing, and um, we kind of get to the Night Fire Nationals. Very few things have happened uninterrupted. They even had it last year uh, for the course of 50 years. So to be asked by the new family who operates that racetrack to be invited up there to work at the event, was really a treat and the track itself is beautiful it is a highly maintained facility they hold themselves to a high standard they hold their employees to a high standard they hold their racers to a high standard and the result of that is one of the most professionally run clean nicely executed facilities i think i've ever been to and it is uh, by no means is it the you know the size of Zmax dragway and frankly i'm glad that it isn't only because it is this really kind of cool intimate environment um, where they have taken and gone the extra mile on almost every level that they possibly could. It's a unique track in the sense that the staging lanes run parallel to the racetrack and they're elevated over it. The grandstands are then elevated over the staging lanes. So it is very unique and a, a fan basis because as you're sitting there watching the racing, your view is not obstructed. It, even when you have funny cars and stuff, there are the bodies up. And then you're also getting a front row seat to watch something that most people never see, which is the kind of um, the ritual of getting prepared, getting strapped into the race cars and getting ready to go to, to run down the racetrack. So um, just a unique experience. Was uh, very glad to be there along with 
top fuel uh, front engine top fuel dragsters and, and nostalgia nitro funny cars fuel alters pro mods they had a huge and i'm talking huge sportsman racing program paid ten thousand dollars to win each day for one specific class but there was an individual race for every day of the event so if you raced in pro you raced in motorcycle eliminator there was something for you to do heavy was also part of the, the deal there as well so um, got to meet a ton of NHRA fans, and and these are real hardcore, real deal NHRA fans like you listening to this. It um, it is just fantastic in the sense of when you go to a place like that and you understand that that people really do appreciate drag racing, they really do appreciate the NHRA, they love their local racetrack. It um, it's really cool to to see that passion played out and to hear it right out of their mouth. So. It was my first visit to Idaho, my first visit to Firebird Raceway. Hopefully not my last because I loved uh, I loved being in Idaho and certainly loved being at that racetrack. Uh, we saw some really good racing. I mean, uh, Bobby Cottrell um, in the O'Brien and Austin, you know, Northwest Hitter Car won the Nitro Funny Car category. Tony Gerardo was a runner up there, uh, which is great. Tony um, is going to run Indy in his uh, in his car that he ran Sonoma with, which is a big move for that team. And very cool to hear that a California crew is going to be hauling all the way to Indy to compete. Uh, when we saw the Nitro Funny Car or Nitro, the Top Fuel final was fantastic in the sense of it was Jim Murphy and Dan Haran Jr. and it became a bit of a chess match. Haran uh, went out, did his burnout. Murphy basically waited till Haran was backing up until he did his burnout. And then when they came back, no one was really in a hurry to stage. And uh, Jim Murphy ended up uh, ended up kind of taking advantage of the situation. He won the race um, kind of from an underdog position, which was cool. Uh, the Pro Modified class was great. Ed Marks raced Sean Renteria in the final round. You're talking about one of the most beautiful 53 Corvettes in the nation with a screw blower on it versus a four-door Valiant Pro Modified, the Renteria brothers off of the West Coast, if you're unfamiliar with them. Uh, insanely unique car. Also runs a, a screw-blown Hemi. And I had the chance to talk to the Renteria brothers for uh, an extended period of time on Sunday evening once we got done. Spectacular guys who come to Firebird and support the racetrack. And um, uh, they will be, the Pro Modifieds will be a staple of that race for years to come. Fans loved them. Everybody else loved them as well. And then uh, we get to the final round of the uh, AA Fuel Altered class, which was two cars that both ran 603. A 6033 beat a 6034. You just can't ask for better action than that. And the ultimately, the Panic Fuel Altered beat the Impatience Fuel Altered. And um, it was the kind of it was the kind of final round action that you want to see at every race you ever go to. Uh, we had a lot of appreciative racers that won big money over the course of the days. So overall, it was a very cool event unique event very glad i was able to go there and um very glad to kind of uh extend my western swing a week i guess you'd say into idaho but now we go into the central part of the country so gradually creeping back toward uh, my own eastern time zone which is uh, a welcome change so when we look at topeka when we look at what this weekend will look like it will look very different than pomona in the sense of even though it will be hot the racetrack in topeka is a very different surface we don't have the dips and the bumps that we heard so much about from the racers at the pomona event you have a very very solid racetrack there and you have one that in typical fashion deals with the heat pretty well it typically does not get too greasy does not give up too much and as has been the norm, we are qualifying at night on Friday night, an 8 p.m. session for Friday evening. Um, assuming that's going to drop pretty well. And then we go on Saturday. It's uh, a noon and a rather a 
afternoon and late afternoon session to speak of. So Saturday's qualifying will be much more realistic in terms of race day conditions, but Friday night should be interesting. And not to temper anybody's expectations, but the one trend we have seen emerge this year, especially with the three qualifying sessions, the Friday night session tends not to necessarily deliver the goods in a way you would you would expect it to. Only because uh, a lot of people are coming up there blind, so to speak, and they're putting a lot of power to cars and spinning the tires in an effort to make what would be the hero number one qualifying pass. I think as we evolve through these next three races and then into the countdown, you're going to see strategically things change for a lot of teams. I think we're going to start seeing a lot less tire smoke on Friday nights. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more full pulls on Friday nights. Maybe not to the you know, track record setting level that may be achieved on a cool Friday night, but in the I'm running for a championship, I need as many laps down this racetrack cleanly as I can get, so I'm going to take a little off the top of this car just to make sure it gets through, and then I can build my tune-up back from there. So it'll be fun to watch that because we have seen some Friday nights that have been just awesome, and we've seen some Friday nights that just make you wonder what what everybody's doing out there or why they're doing it because it's been nothing but uh, nothing but tire smoke. Uh, one last piece of great news before we start to move into our interviews. That is Atco Dragway in New Jersey, very historic place that was kind of um, in limbo for a little while. It was in limbo as there was an ownership group there that was looking to uh, basically lease the property out to make it into a holding area for an auto auction company. Whether these would be junk cars or simply cars to be auctioned, that was what the deal was looking like and it was looking like the track was in some some big time trouble well racers stepped up people stepped up from all over the area and lo and behold the city council that oversees atco dragway's uh, jurisdiction has made a ruling that said it cannot be anything other than a motorsports facility so echo dragway is protected in that sense that they will not be closed down to be a junkyard or an auto auction site and at this point legally it can never be anything but a drag strip which is um incredibly cool and something that uh something that is a rarity right in these days when when tracks have to fight for their survival they don't tend to find a lot of help on city council but echo dragway echo dragway's fans racers supporters had the help is the owner of the place did not but that's his loss so this is a small victory for all of us in the sport of drag racing and uh just kind of a neat story i think whenever we have those moments i think we need to we need to celebrate them a little bit All right, so our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, the winner of the 2021 NHRA Gator Nationals, but I know he never gets tired of hearing that. Josh Hart, how you doing, man? Very good, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, It has been a whirlwind few months for you away from the racetrack. We, uh, I think Norwalk was the last race we saw you competing at, so I want to talk about the things that have been going on away from the racetrack that are leading up to the things that will be happening on the racetrack. I believe starting in Brainerd, you're going to make the rest of the season, is my understanding. Yes, sir. We are we are trying like hell to get there in Brainerd. Um, we've had a lot of moving pieces, that's for sure. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about the moving pieces of your pro- professional life away from the drag strip. You've just uh, you've kind of opened a, I guess you called it Bernie's 2.0. Let's talk about where your business is and what's been going on the last few months. <laughs> um, so we uh, we converted our old showroom into an, a one stop service facility. So. That undertaking alone was uh, 35,000 square foot of automotive anything, uh, custom interior, candy paint shop, um, and anything service, LS swaps, elephant swaps, turbo builds, dyno tuning, 
crazy. Um, yeah. That's, that's just our service department. Um, and while we were doing that, we were building a 50,000 square foot brand new showroom with gift shop, diner, professional photography area. Uh, and we, we were filling it with about a hundred iconic cars. And as all that's happening, you're also working on the logistical end of your top fuel operation. You're you're adding uh, business partners like RNL Carriers. You're you're kind of working on on that side of things too. So, what has I guess what has led you to be able to compete, uh, or or I guess led you to the to the want to compete from Brainerd all the way to the end of the season, and and uh, what's what's kind of been the driving force behind that logistically? Originally, this season, you know, we thought we would get out and we would do about eight to 10 races. And, um, truthfully, I just, I just miss it. Um, but, uh, you know, we had to completely revamp the program to be competitive. Um, you know, we're going to start another chassis. We completely revisited our, um, clutch program, upgraded our engine program, upgrade, upgraded our supercharger program. Um, just anything we could do to, to try to keep up, Meanwhile, we're we're moving into our new shop in Indianapolis, so it's been it's been a lot of moving pieces to say the least. Yeah, it has been, and you know, you've we've talked about uh, really when the season got going, we've talked about the the necessary relationship that an owner and a, and a crew chief has to have in terms of not just trust, but I think it goes even far beyond trust. I'm not sure what the next level of that is, but you have it with Ron Douglas and. You know Ron's level of experience and his experience in the sport on on really every level, from from coming in as a crew guy to working his way up to be one of the the most uh, you know highly recognized and respected crew chiefs in the game. What has been, I would say, what has been Ron's biggest value over this period of months when you're moving things into a new shop, when you're upgrading a a cylinder header engine program, a blower program? What's been his biggest value? He really tries to make everything as seamless as possible for. Brittany and I, I mean, he seems to genuinely care, you know, whether we are or are not pleased with the program. Yeah. Um, and he takes a lot of the, the responsibility. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of undertaking to make sure everything's showing up and make sure everything's getting paid for. Um, the bills are staggering, but we're surviving. Things are going good and um, pieces are starting to fall into place. And I attribute all that to Ron Douglas. So, you know, it may be a little bit of an outside shot, but depending on how the car runs through Brainerd, and of course, Indianapolis is going to be points and a half as it has been for years. Uh, do you think you have a legitimate shot to, to bust your way into the countdown? I sure hope so. I mean, I wish I was in Topeka this weekend. Um, that was the original plan, but we just, we did not make as much progress as I, as I had hoped in moving into Indianapolis. And it was one of those you know educated decisions where you don't want to go out there and do anything halfway you know we we want to be professional look professional and uh and be competitive so it just was best to move to Brainerd and um I definitely think we have a shot how hard is it to balance that that want to be there versus the uh, dare I say adult outlook of having to actually you know (laughs) consider the factors I mean because that to me is um it's an interesting thing because we have seen so many people over the years uh, kind of push all the chips in the middle of the table in a very unwise way, and next thing you know, they're they're they've gone bust. So, uh, how much of the balance and how much of your your business side is comes into play when you actually are able to make that decision, which is not easy. 
Yeah, it's it's tough, and and I I still care what the public perception is. Probably my biggest downfall. Um, but you know, I believe in consistency, and and I'm not going to go out there and just lose first round. That's not my goal. You know, we want to win every race, and sometimes you got to make educated decisions. I was a businessman before I ever touched a race car, so uh, it's painful. But we're trying to build this program for the long haul. Yeah, I think. Well, I think what, what, one of the things you said about uh, caring about the public perception, I, 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 I do definitely don't see that as a downfall. I don't see that as a downfall at all because uh, at the end of the day, you're you're caring for the public perception of, of your operation is directly translates into the people you're going to do business with that are going to support you. You know, and and I guess people people that maybe don't care about the public perception are the ones ultimately that are going to struggle long term because sooner or later you run out of people who you can pick up the phone and call but if you're willing to make the the harder decisions to to put your operation in the best light as possible it would seem to me that's a better way to do business yeah absolutely i mean um we we want to build this for the long long haul like i said and and it's it's tough you know we we did not plan on doing as many races as we're doing this year, but um, I've already got people commenting on, you know, when are you ever going to race again? Um, so even though we're doing more races than originally anticipated, the public perception is where did he go? You know, and I, that, that kills me because I definitely want to be there, but um, just had to make some tough decisions and, and hopefully we're still in rookie of the year contention. You know, I, I think when we pick up the, the reins and, Brainerd, we're going to give it hell until the end of the season. Yeah, and I love that because uh, really, I think when we when we look at the contenders for that particular award this year, I really see it as a, a two horse race between yourself and uh, yourself and Dallas Glenn, and uh, you both have a you both have a win, you know. So there's uh, I think there's a pretty even kind of even um, stack of cards on both sides for that uh, for that award so far. One of the things I'm interested in, if you were the king of the sport, if, if tomorrow you, they put you in charge and you and you could do one thing immediately to help a guy like you with a single car team who's working to get up on his feet, working to get out more, what is the single thing that you would love to see change right now? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, everybody's been super generous to me. Um and everyone has been very accepting of me, believe it or not. So um, if there was anything I think that should be more accessible to top fuel drivers is maybe some sort of guidance to funding. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's a staggering bill per race. And, you know, most of the guys that are participating at this level don't necessarily care about the money, but to make the investment, uh, is one thing to operate the investment is a whole another basket of tricks. Yeah, that's and that well, I was having a conversation. I was in Idaho last weekend at the the Nightfire Nationals out in Boise, and it was uh, they had nostalgia top fuel cars and nostalgia funny cars and stuff there. And I was talking to some of those guys, and and um, one guy in particular said, "Listen," he said, "building this thing and and buying the car." He said, "That's the easiest part of the whole the whole deal." He said, "Getting the stuff is is nothing compared to actually going out there and 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 operating it, which, um, to their level, to what you're doing, is exponentially more expensive." Yeah, <laughs> I I think that if if there was a way to maybe coach the new blood of Top Fuel into you know how to market themselves and how to build long term partnerships, um, that would be great, and I, I'd love to be a part of you know 
paving the way for that. It's it's one thing to get somebody to write a check to put their name on your car, but if you can build long term relationships, it really isn't about that anymore. You know, it oh, helps them. It helps them help you. You know, and that's that's what we've tried to do with our relationships. Yeah, you know, Bernie Bernie's is segued into TechNet and Advanced Auto Parts. Um, Bernie's is using RL carriers for all of their shipping needs. You know, so it's really you know you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back type of relationship. And and that's and that's super interesting because I think we see that now more in motorsports in general, specifically in drag racing for sure, more maybe than we ever have. I mean, we look at you know people like man, I, I, Mac Tools is stuck with uh, Doug Coletta for a hundred years. Well, yeah, Connie's got a thousand mechanics, and guess what? They use Mac Tools. You know, it's it's, a, it's a good relationship. <laughs> and 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 so to your point, it's it's one thing to take that and turn it into the race car, you know, with RNL on it because you've done that on your own. But now how do I take that and move it on to like the next level? Right. And so it's a great, it, that's a great thing. And I do believe it's something that everybody in the sport could benefit from on a, on a professional level because it goes, it goes well beyond press releases and some social media posts. There is a, a depth to it that a guy like you who is very savvy has found a way to make it work to this point, And you will find a way to make it work going down the road. But there's not that many Josh Hart's out there. There's a lot of guys who want to be Josh Hart, but there's not that many Josh Hart's out there. Whether you believe it or not, that's a fact. It's some of this stuff is starting to settle in, but um, just to go back a little bit about your press release, Arnold carriers actually told me it wasn't that important. Yeah. Um, they're, they're more interested <laughs> in building company morale and trying to get new drivers. Um, so it's not always monetary gain. You know, I said, well, what if I bring more business to the table? And they said, you know, we're not interested, not at this time. We need people to drive the damn trucks. Yeah, they said we want to be able to take care of the customers that we got, and we need drivers. So it's a really great company. I mean, they're doing this just to boost the morale of their corporation. You know, sixteen thousand employees is a big deal. Oh, it's huge! It's huge, and I think you know I, the, the the shortage of truck drivers nationally is a, a very well publicized story, and it, and it's almost like to me. Uh, why isn't every and maybe they are, but it's, it would seem like anybody that's looking to get something going is for their race team. It's like you should be calling every trucking company you know because we can look back and we look at Clay Milliken for so many years and IHRA had Werner Enterprises on his on his side of his car, hugely successful deal, and it was much the same thing. They use it as a recruitment tool. They use it as company morale builder. It's a proven, one hundred percent proven formula, and um, it's a it's a neat thing to see continuing in terms of its its viability in, in our sport. So let's take a uh, another question here. When we go to Brainerd, we hope to see you there, and obviously you're planning on being there. How much of being able to run this, this back half of the season um, came down to planning the human side of things? Like, you know, because obviously if you got – you have Ron Douglas working for you full-time, but being able to have that cohesive uh, team to run all these races, how tough was it to kind of get that human balance right? Uh, I'll be honest with you, we're, we're struggling now. And that's one of the big question marks for Brainerd. Yeah. Um, Brainerd's in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's, it's hard to make accommodations. It's extremely expensive just for the accommodations. So um, we're trying to make sure that we can get a, like you said, cohesive team. And um, I'm not, I'm not bashful when it comes to taking care of our people. So sure. it, hopefully, hopefully we can keep some consistency with the team members. Um, and we can go out there and dominate. Do you do you see this as a as a driver owner? Do you see a 
I'm not going to say a labor shortage, but a qualified labor shortage in our sport. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I never wanted to be an, an owner. Yeah. <laughs> the, plan, the, plan, <laughs> the plan was that I was going to drive, but, uh, you know, here we are and it's been very good to me and, um, I wouldn't change it now. You know, I, I enjoy the challenge and here we go. Awesome. Well, certainly, uh, certainly hoping to see you in, in Brandard. I think it's very interesting to hear, you know, your perspective on things, uh, you know, as a guy who is really dedicated to doing this the right way. I, I think it's very neat that your level of conscientiousness to make sure when the truck and trailer rolls into the, into the racetrack that not only is it looking good, it's prepared, it's running well, and, and you have the right people uh, wrenching on the thing. I want to dive back a little bit into your into your you know professional life and the, the kind of Shangri-La that you have created for hot rodders down there in Florida. It's an incredible thing. <laughs> you have seen thousands, tens of thousands of cars probably come through your business over the years. There's got to be a couple of them that you looked at and said, I should probably own that. And then before you could do that, it was out the door. Do you have any any of these hot rods, any of these muscle cars, anything that's ever rolled through your business that you wish you could have back? Um, my, uh, <laughs> my, my only car that I've ever regretted not keeping in my personal collection is a uh, 1961 uh, Corvette Fuley that uh, a very good friend of mine owned. Uh, he passed away in a diving accident. We used to argue all the time which one was more dangerous, diving or drag racing. And, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, unfortunately, he, he passed away in a diving accident. Wow. So uh, it, it broke my heart to sell the car, but it just didn't make sense at the time. And I've actually since then searched for that car. So um, if I find it, I'll, I'll get it back. Yeah, everybody's got the one that uh, – everybody's got the one that got away. And and. I guess last topic here. Uh, you're still a pretty new dad, you know. There's you got a, you got a little tyke running around. How's how's everything going on that front? Uh, she is the uh, ruler of my world. She's a year and a <laughs> half old now, and uh, she has no uh, no hesitation when she tells me no. <laughs> um, and I still get the chills when I'm strapping her into her car seat. I think, oh my god, she's gonna love race cars, and uh, I don't know how I'm gonna deal with that. So. Um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have her in a junior dragster sooner rather than later. Cool, man. Well, Hey, it's great to catch up with you. Look forward to seeing you at uh, Brainerd, Minnesota, and certainly got my fingers crossed that, uh, you got your, your T's crossed and I's dotted with, uh, everything logistically you need to do to get there. Congratulations on getting the new shop set up in Indianapolis as well. And, uh, I'm sure that, um, I'm sure that logistically and, and for all these things that you're looking to solve, that's definitely the best place for you to be. Thank you. He's Josh Hart. He will be showing back up again in Brainerd, and he will be making a run for that Rookie of the Year honors, and who knows, he will also be trying to fight his way into the countdown to the championship. Have a great one, Josh, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Certainly love talking to Josh Hart because uh, he brings a unique perspective uh, into the sport. Certainly look forward to seeing him in Brainerd and uh, watching what he can do. I mean, there is a there certainly is a chance that that guy could find his way in the countdown, which would really, really make things very interesting. All right, our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. You know him, you love him, friend to man and beast, Tony Petragon. How you doing, man? Good, Brian. Good morning. It is hot. I now know why early man upped and left Africa. Because <laughs> it is hot here in Indy, but the good news is it's supposed to be nice at Topeka. 
Yeah, it's going to be pretty good. I think, um, you know, like like all the Midwest summer, I think it's going to be kind of humid and stuff. But I think the temperature itself is supposed to be like in the mid 80s. So um, that'll be a welcome change after what we uh, certainly what we finished off uh, Pomona with, which was just boiling hot on Sunday. But, you know, I want to catch up with you, Tony, because we're coming off the Western Swing. We're moving into this kind of mini, I guess, central swing, we'll call it with Topeka and Brainerd back to back before we go to Indy. And I guess my first question for you is, you know, as a, you know, as a, as an overall kind of team outlook, when your team finishes the Western Swing and comes back into the shop, what is that first discussion meeting on Monday or Tuesday when you actually go back to work? I mean, is it we sucked for three races? Is it we did a great job? Is it let's forget about what just happened and move on with the rest of the season? Kind of what is what are you doing there as a team owner, manager type guy? Well, with any responsible team, it's never – it's never the latter. It's never, hey, let's just uh, let's just pretend it didn't happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I would say the work. I mean, the work comes first. You know, it's a it, it's about a twenty four hour drive for most teams, and uh, it seems like most of them hit the hit the road on Monday, and they were back parked, and um, you know maybe got the day off, but it was right back to work. Um, you know, I would say the the bigger workload was for the teams that you know blew up a couple of motors. Yeah, uh, we know there were a few of those uh, because of the. You know, we go from elevation to sea level to, you know, hot. I, I just can't remember that, that you've had three consecutive events that were so, you know, so opposite of one another. Yeah, and I think if we want to start this discussion in, in Funny Car, kind of on that point, we look at what I think is the best car in the class right now is Ron Cap's car, and, and we talk about how different those three events were, and that was two finals and a win for that team. I mean, they're, they're really seeming to gel together at the right time. Yeah, and I think – you know, the bigger surprise was that they hadn't won. You know, I think the yeah. fact that they were qualifying on top showed that, you know, they could make a, make the power. And, and, you know, of the two, you know, there's there's being able to make the power and then being able to manage, you know, let's say less power. You know, anytime you can make power and, and get the car to accelerate early in the run and run, you know, over 330 miles an hour more than anyone else, um, you know, that, that there's some potential there. It's just a matter of, um, you know, manipulating the power and managing it and applying it to the track. So, you know, this, we, we were talked about this team, you know, being, being the next to win, you know, for a while it was Hagen and caps. And then you, you've seen Hagen go on a, a little bit of a run, but, but now it's caps, but you know, what, what a, what a year in funny car is going to be. And what a, what an exciting run, because I think it's, it's the, the class that it's going to be the most difficult to repeat. And even though Tasca did it earlier in the year, we've seen Force, you know, somewhat cool off. But after he won a couple of races, but I mean, when you look at the top, I mean, really the top ten, yeah. you know, you can you can argue maybe eight and nine, you know, that's Wilkerson and Cruz. But you know, there's and Cruz has won a race, and yep. I don't even think they've hit their stride. And and Wilkerson, you know, he's always good. He's always good for at least one or two runs. And we really haven't seen it yet, or maybe we've seen one. He just he just didn't you know didn't deliver the goods. Uh, but everyone from Alexis on up, Gr Todd, you know they're you know they're they've got the goods. Yeah, I mean if you you look at this and like you're talking about how it's just like a it's a, almost a pick 'em. You know when you get into this really like you said top eight, top nine, it's it's all jammed up. And you know a guy like Caps again, three straight semifinals and a win. 
and he's still sitting in fifth because other guys have been able to go a couple rounds here or there. The wins get spread out between, you know, Hagen making the winning Denver, going to the finals in Sonoma, um, and then going out first round, and then you get Height that won in, you know, won in Sonoma. And, you know, everybody's just been kind of handing the, the potato back and forth around. Um, let's talk about the about the Force Hagen thing and, and what the implications could be of that going forward because I think I speak for all of us where I, I want to see those guys again first round. I mean, a final would be great, but I'd really like to see him have to race again first round. Well, I mean, I see it this way. I mean, you and I called it when it happened. You know, Force really didn't didn't do anything – um, you know, outside of what, you know, what drivers do, I, you know, I knew exactly what he tried to do. He tried to roll in deep on the top light. And when you deep stage, I always talk about the art of deep staging and people that really are drivers, I should say, that don't understand how to do it properly. The, the right way to do it is to roll in heavy on the top light. That way you don't have to move the car that much when you do roll in to stage the car. And then if you want to roll it in a few more inches, it's it's just not as hard and then you don't rock the car you know we've talked about some of the drivers yeah. you know just barreling in there you try doing that in your passenger car i mean i did that in my pickup the other day and and i thought wow this thing rocks pretty good and for any driver to try to tell me that it doesn't upset the chassis um it, it, try to tell any crew chief that and and that that argument isn't going to hold much because it upsets the car it, it rocks it it you know it sloshes the fuel around but um you know forces dramatic we know that and and Hagen uh, you know within his rights I mean he was a little frustrated you know he almost won the race on a whole shot but um the the end result is finally Brian finally a couple of drivers <laughs> right just showed their flipping emotions yep. you know yeah you get tired of these these ass kissers and these huggers and these guys that these drivers that just BS it's like come on guys human nature doesn't work like that this no. is high stakes competition and for crying out loud take take notes uh, from a couple of guys a couple of apex predators that that show a little freaking emotion you know and and Bill Bader's got it right I mean th this isn't this isn't a business I mean it is yeah. from Monday through Thursday but for crying out loud at what point are these drivers going to wrap their heads around the fact that this is entertainment you know, so work on yeah. your trade, polish your interview skills, and for crying out loud, give us give us a little something. Yeah, and that's you know I think it's funny. Uh, there was a, obviously a lot of chatter on the internet about after the whole thing happened, and and people were taking a side, which is exactly what you want. You want people to take a side in anything because then it builds interest and certainly gets people invested in it. And it was uh, I think it was a comment by Tommy Delago in this this particular post I had seen about people I think complaining about how maybe how Hagen didn't handle it or something. And Delago writes, you know, all you guys talk about how nobody has any emotion or nobody has any reality to them, and then the second you see two guys. <laughs> actually have it you freak out and so it's funny as hell like it's i think it goes in both directions where it's like you have the fans who are like oh nobody says anything anymore and then if something happens and they go oh my god that guy said something <laughs> and then yeah. yeah to your point to your point i think it is it's important when you know you got you got a situation like this it's like it, it illustrates how much uh how much these guys want to win and how much it means to them to win and you know i guess the, the follow-up to me is or to you is you know, Hagen talked a lot about how he was, you know, always gave John some courtesy or whatever on the starting line, and now he's not going to do that anymore. And I guess in layman speak, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean he was he was taking that extra beat of time to let John settle himself in, and then you know we're, we're going to see that go away? I mean, what did you interpret that to mean? Well, if there was one thing that anyone did wrong, 
I, I'm going to say <laughs> Matt Hagen had the perfect opportunity to let force Rose. grill and yeah. chill yeah. And, and get seasoned. He could have sprinkled uh, Mama's uh, secret <laughs> recipe. He could have done so many things to make force pay for what happened. But then you got to answer to your crew chief, you know. So I get it. I, I mean, yeah. he he just kind of went on autopilot. Uh, you know, Matt Hagen is he is a a very upfront driver. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I've always said, hey, there's really no etiquette. You know, I used yeah. to. I mean, hey, the drivers that I compete against, they can say what they want and how I drove uh, and how I you know mastered the art of staging. But to me, it's about wins, and for anyone, it's about wins and. You know, you have the egos of the tuner because lane choice that they're going to argue, hey, we want lane choice. Sure. But it's really not that big of an issue, but they're always going to play that card. And the driver is at the mercy of the crew chief unless they own their own car. But the driver, the, the, the tuner is going to say, hey, I want you to shallow stage. Well, of course you do, because you're trying to cover your butt. You've got to answer to your tuner. But is it not about the driver getting to the finish line first? So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's it. I mean, by any means necessary in, in reality, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, what does it mean to answer your question? It means that we're going to be on the edge of our seats because we're going to be yeah. waiting for – and, you know, it was one driver that's really done a good job of this, um, and that's GR Todd, you know, the, the, how he has played force. I mean, he's really controlled the tempo, and when you look back at the history of drivers that have been able to deal with John Force – and John's antics, because his antics have won him a lot of races. The performance of his car has put people or forced drivers to buckle and and to red light and to be late and to allow that pressure to get to him, with the exception of drivers like Jack Beckman. Um, you know, Bazemore played the game with John, if you go back, but he was probably on the losing end of that game most of the time. Yeah, um, I was there. I saw it. Uh, I have no bias. Uh, I like Whit. Al Hoffman was able to deal with John Force. Chuck Etchell's able to deal with John Force. A guy named Jerry Tolliver, Tolliver for sure. a, for a for a small stretch, for one little stretch, when they were hitting the marks, their licks, he was able to deal with John Force. And most recently, it's been J.R. Todd. You know, Cruz. Cruz is one of those guys. They've raced enough, and he understands, um, you know, that whole mental aspect of it. That he's been able to deal with John Force. But the majority of them, and I'm talking, I'm talking hundreds of drivers. That, that that have fallen victim to a guy that <laughs> fights dirty. Yeah. So, but I don't think I don't think Hagen's going to fall prey to, to, to when it does happen. I don't think that's going to happen to Hagen. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think it'll be interesting just because, as you mentioned, like uh, Matt's uh, is in in a in the best of ways a predictable guy in terms of you know if if he does everything he normally does, the guy's going to he'll be probably. 70 first round give or take then he'll work his way down sometimes into the 50s by the time the end of the day comes he's he if he finds a spot and and you wonder if it's like okay if he's going to interrupt that you know does that end up harming him so it's going to be interesting to watch uh let's let's transition to bob task the third a little bit because um you know we're looking at a car now that second round first round second round the western swing really was forgettable for that team yeah um you know, and it's interesting how things can change and turn, you know, when you go from one race to the other. And there's always, you can always go back and, and you can pin it on something. And, of course, you know, a lot of teams, um, go to they go to the clutch disc. And, and legitimately, there is something to the clutch disc because the way they're mixed and, and produced, um, they're done in batches. So they have different uh, hardnesses. 
but they also have different characteristics. They wear differently. So they, they group them in, in batches by the month and, and they do all the tests, the Rockwell tested, check the hardness. Um, but when you have a good, uh, batch or a pallet full of them, you know, you value those. And, you know, when you run out of them, you, even when you cycle one or two discs into one of these clutch packs, it could make the car so temperamental that it could, it could change the performance. It could change how it leaves the starting line within 60 feet and, you know, 60 feet, 150 feet. That is the most crucial area yeah. of how, how successful a run or how impressive a run's going to be. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, the testing moratorium, you know, I wonder if they're allowing some teams to test too much, you know, have we forgotten, you know, that, that you still got to contain the cost and that's a tough decision for, you know, for the NHRA management because, because of the clutch disc, you know, and, and just the way that they're made and, and, uh, you know, the ability for teams to adapt. And, and now you just, you have three runs, you know, if you had four runs, you've got one throwaway run, you can slide one or two in and see what it does. And then you can set up for that evening session. That's really not the case. You miss Friday um, when it's cooler and you go into Saturday qualifying and, you know, that's a game changer. So, um, you know, for task, I think they are going to get back on track and you can adapt, you know, sometimes it takes one or two runs and sometimes it takes more runs, but it's just a matter of the, the tuner figuring out how that, that one change in that clutch disc is going to change their engine or their, their application. Yeah. And, and kind of continuing this uh, conversation, but moving into the top fuel category, um, far less, I guess a far different story in terms of the point spread in terms of, obviously we know about Steve Torrance's domination had a, uh, a rear slip up, if you will, in Pomona kind of hit, hit the banana peel in round one and did not advance out of there. But before we talk about Steve, you know, we got to talk about the Coletta situation here. You got, you got two cars with premier drivers and Sean Langdon and Doug Coletta that have a combined total um, of three round wins basically since Norwalk. It's 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 almost mind-boggling that it hasn't turned around for him yet. I I would guess that this goes well beyond a a clutch a clutch disc tuning issue. I think that you know <laughs> something something's got to give here at some point, right? Yeah, it's mechanical. I mean, anytime you look at the oil down penalties yeah. alone, yeah. and that that pretty much sums it up. You know, and they say, isn't there a saying? They say that stuff rolls uphill. Uh, maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe Down I'm hill. missing yeah. that one metaphor, but <laughs> it does. It it goes. You know, from you you, you got to go. Forget about the driver. I mean, that Coletta team has arguably uh, amongst the the most talented driver lineup um, that that yeah. can really go up against anyone. You know, when you talk Sean Langdon, you you talk about Doug Coletta, and even their funny car drivers. But we're talking dragsters and. They're, they don't have good cars. You know, they have okay cars that, you know, that blow up. And anytime an engine blows up, um, it's just not, it's, it's not in the range that it needs to be, whether it's over compressed or it's, you've got too much blower. A lot of these tuners like to jam a lot of timing and timing is, is kind of a artificial power maker. Um, some tuners will, will put a couple of degrees of timing in it so that it, it gives them this illusion that it makes more power. It might give them a little more engine RPM, but makes the engine detonate. Yeah. And when that happens, the end result is, you know, oil penalties. Um, and I'm not saying that's, that's their specific problem, but, but it's, it's, it could be a multitude of things that, that lean towards and point towards whoever is making the decision on setting that engine up. Um, and, and then you have to, 
then it goes up the, up the chain from there. You know, maybe it goes all the way back up to Connie, and it makes you wonder, does he have the right people working on these cars and making the decisions? Now, if it's Connie, then nobody's going to argue with that. I'm not even going to argue with that. Right. I'm going to say, Connie, I, uh, you know, man, that was quite the explosion there, but... Yeah. But you know, when you look at you look at the John Force racing multi car team, you look at Don Schumacher, they hire tuners that are, you know, are decorated. Yeah. And and they pay the money because they demand a, a you know a higher salary than let's say um, you know a, 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 a assistant crew chief. I got you. You know yeah. that that was placed into that position, but that seems like it's always been maybe not always. I mean, you look at you look at the funny car. Uh, with Todd Smith at complimenting what Oberhofer does. I mean, that's a good, that's a good combination there. Um, but when you look at the direction, this is no disrespect. I mean, I, I know, I know all these guys or most of them that work on these cars, no disrespect to them. But if you're asking me a question, I'm looking at those guys. I've run a business yeah. before. I've had to make those tough decisions. I'm looking at the guy who I'm, I'm trusting to tune that engine. And those are the ones that are going to be in the hot seat. But the owner, the owner has to look at himself and say, am I hiring the right people? I, I mean, do I need to bring someone in to work with, you know, with, you know, with that person that I, I'm, I'm entrusting with this information? So, you know, to me, that's it. It goes, it goes right up the chain. Yeah, it does. And, and it's, it, these are, you know, these are the, the hard conversations. You have to look at it. And, and again, in a, a professional sport, it's, we always talk about anything involving, you know, athletics or racing or whatever you want to talk about the old, you know, it's a results based business. And, and certainly those two cars just stand out so far this year as, and even, you know, we look at, um, you know, Langdon's fifth in the points. So he's, he's, in in theory in better shape than Doug is and Doug's basically where he's at in ninth because of the you know because of the oil down penalties that they've uh, that they've suffered which you know unfortunately for them leads the class but it does seem as though just by the nature of what we do that at some point this thing's got to turn around I mean there's obviously an infinite number of variables involved but man it's like I'm sure they've had to look through and pick through and try to discern what's gone on with a lot of broken parts this year but dang it's like you just you think at some point these guys are going to have some sort of a breakout race. Uh, Leah Pruitt did have a breakout race in Pomona. I mean, we saw, we saw that team, I would say hit rock bottom in Denver, right? Was, was the valve cover leak rock bottom for that team? And then we saw them go to a final and then win the next race. Yeah. I I think rock bottom may have come before the, (laughs) before the, before the oil leak. I mean, it seemed like they were rebounding. I mean, they, you know, they had, uh, I think they had advanced around at that race Mm -hmm. and, you know, that was just another of the many things that, you know, that, uh, that beat them, they got them taken out of competition, but you know, there again, you know, the drivers may not like it when we're honest, but you know, we just call what we see. And, you know, the funny part is, is, you know, they, they want all the credit when, when they do something good and they get it as they should, but you know, you can't, you can't criticize us for, you know, saying, well, look, you know, that's, that's on the driver. Um, you, you know, whether it was a double step or a red light or a whole shot, you know, it happens and that yeah. should make drivers get better. However, that team has turned around and, you know, who knows whether she would have beat Justin Ashley in the final, but you know, those, it was pretty hot and, uh, you really got to admire Leah. You know, I, I, I realized that, a person can't control what happens, you know, to their body physically under those conditions. But, you know, here's Leah, 
you know, she's, she's in pretty good shape and she was sitting in that car in the staging lanes and she was watching all this, Yeah, you know, so you gotta, you really gotta give her credit for that as, as did the pro stock drivers and, and, um, you know, the funny car drivers, I mean, they toughed it out and, you know, they kept themselves hydrated. You really got to take care of yourself physically, you know, go up in the lounge, cool off. I know Justin was, you know, mixing fuel, but you know, Hey, maybe he had a reaction to those conditions, but, um, but Leah's team, uh, delivered, they've, they've given her a good car and they had a couple of missed opportunities. But I, I think, you know, when you win a race, you really, that's the best way to put it behind you. And, and I, I think it gives Leah, uh, the driver, which if you think about what, needs to improve with this team even though they've won one race and that's that's the driver but that is going to give her even more confidence yeah i agree and then i guess uh to put a to put a punctuation mark on top fuel uh, once again we see a team you know winning a top fuel race but they don't actually have to beat steve torrance to do it because he's been eliminated in the first round so you know are we back to yet another one of these questions like okay is this the team that's going to step up and do it um <laughs> and, and to me we can only answer that question until you actually beat this guy head to head not once but a couple times because you know we saw we saw antron do it in atlanta but then we haven't seen it happen again for him there's like these little lightning bolts that happen against steve torrance but ultimately he always seems to stand supreme so what what is going to be that benchmark are we do we have to see someone beat steve twice you know heads up to say okay they're a contender because right now we haven't seen anybody that's that's in the same league we've got to go back a few years and you have to go back to Brittany force now when she won the championship steve cooperated you know, he was, I think he was on the brink of becoming the driver that he is today. Yeah. I don't think he was there yet. You know, I, I remember this movie I watched, it was called the five heartbeats. And, and they said, you know, to be a, a great, great a writer, you have, you have, you have to suffer. This one guy didn't suffer enough. And I think drivers are like that. You don't, you have to go through certain things to get really good. And if you look uh, at the best drivers that we have in our sport, like a caps, a Hagen, um, and you go to top fuel and, and Steve Torrance is that guy. I mean, <clears throat> you've got to beat him in a few different areas. You have to not only outperform the car, but you got to deal with this driver in the seat. That's, that's, you know, amongst the top, what is he top three in reaction times? Yep. But, and if he's not, he rises to the occasion. He knows when he needs it. Uh, so he races smart, he plays the odds and then he's got a good team. You know, you can't have a team that the guys that are, you know, leaving stuff done, uh, leaving a washer off the connecting rod, it's going to split the rod. They don't feed that car old parts. So it's very reliable. Um, you don't have guys that aren't thorough. They're leaving, you know, straps and, and valve covers. Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen with that team because it's the same group of guys that have been there for several years. Um, they're, they're highly skilled. And, and when you talk about some of these other teams, again, not to criticize any of them, but, you know, some of these teams cut some costs. And when you do that, you compromise the talent that you have that are, that are whether it's working on the car or whether it's the guy tuning it or the guy driving that applies to everybody. And that accounts for some of the mistakes that some of the other teams have had, but you know, Steve Torrance can be beat. He'll be the first to tell you that nobody's capitalized. No one has, has taken that opportunity to do it when that car has fallen off. But that's one of the things that makes them so good is because they are good. They, they put, other teams in positions that they feel they have to press. So when Steve has, you know, say smoke the tires, lost traction, so did the other guy. All he had to do was get down the track. But, you know, when, when you're that good and when you have that reputation, you know, that's, that, that's the beauty of it. 
One last topic we'll touch on here is pro stock and the fact that um, once again we've seen Aaron Stanfield thump Greg Anderson. Um, it's right now Aaron Stanfield is three and zero versus Anderson. Greg still has a massive uh, lead into points. He's locked himself into the countdown, so there's no obviously trouble there. Um, and, and chances are Stanfield's not going to catch him for the points lead by the time we get done at Indy. But uh, is it interesting that Aaron Stanfield now seems to be? Almost, I'm not saying he's replacing Erica, but in some ways he is as far as Anderson's biggest kind of foil. Well, there's no question that he has. I mean, he's even he's even dealt with Erica, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. this this I think you may have even mentioned this. I mean, this this reminds me a little bit of this this kid named Tanner Gray that yeah. came into the class and and uh, you know was put through the test and and passed with flying colors because he had a good car. He had a good, reliable team. There was someone on that car that was making all the right decisions, and and then he did his job. And when he did his job, he did it well. I mean, he held up to the pressure of Greg Anderson, Jason Lyon, Erica, you know, all, a lot of the, the competitors that are still racing today, and er, that's what Aaron Stanfield's doing. And it's funny because, you know, Greg Anderson, and he'll, he'll probably tell you this, but if you go back to any driver, there was always a kryptonite. There was always somebody – that that they had a tough time dealing with but at some point you get over it you deal with it you build up some immunity or tolerance for it you know for me it was some guy named john shoemaker (laughs) right and and i was told that he plays these tricks on the starting line and john was an old division seven uh racer okay but and and he didn't have the quickest car but and he he looked like um he looked like uh, woody hayes he had glasses (laughs) <laughs> um, but he had the quickest car, and he was older, but but he had a reputation of, of doing stuff on the starting line to guys, and that scared me. And uh, maybe it was Tim Baxter, you know, in Division 5 when I, I started racing a more competitive car. But if you ask every driver, there, who was the driver that you just don't like to race? And funny car, there was this guy named Kenji Okazaki. I think he scared all of us. Because <laughs> he, he had this little ritual, and I never saw it, but Chris said he sprinkled salt on the injector. And whatever that meant, that kind of put some fear in me. And, <laughs> and I think that's what Aaron Stanfield has done to Greg. But I, I do believe at some point Greg is going to be able to deal with that. I don't think he's going to be able to drive better uh, than Aaron on the starting line. Because Aaron is, I mean, he's right on the money. He's where you need to be to compete with the Greg Anderson. And, you know, like we talked about the performance, that's going to win him a lot of races. Because it's either going to put more pressure on who he competes against it's going to push him maybe over the edge occasionally. But the trick for Aaron is, you know, he's won a couple of races consecutive. That's not easy to do. But now the pressure does shift to a younger driver like that. You know, you look at Greg and Erica and Hartford, uh, you know, maybe not Dallas Glenn or Kyle Koretsky, but, uh, you know, Chris McGahey, Derek Kramer, some of these veteran drivers, you know, there is, they have something in their pocket that these younger, inexperienced drivers don't. They've been through those pressure cookers, and that is the test for Aaron yeah it really is and and just to 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 finish up on Anderson I mean the guy really hasn't had an ugly he had one uh, his second round loss in Houston I guess wasn't uh, wasn't the greatest because he was like 80 or something but really when we look at when this guy has lost these finals which he's lost the last three finals he's been in he has not lost because he was 70 or 80 on the tree. Like he's been 30 and someone's been 10 next to him, you know? It's so to me, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting where he is, you know, this is maybe one of the most vivid illustrations I think I've ever seen of getting everybody's best shot, including Aaron Stanfield. We see it 
it's it, it to me it's more evident in pro stock than it is in the in the fuel categories because of the fact that the cars are typically so consistent so when you see a driver you know dial one up and then actually take it to anderson where anderson's not doing bad he's just he's just getting getting everybody's best punch yeah well it, you know it's what'll be interesting with pro stock is right now aaron you know, you wonder, you always want to peak at the right time. Yeah. You know, of course, anyone will tell you, you want to peak right after Indy, right? Right when the countdown starts, uh, we've seen some cars, you know, make a run late in the season. And, and that's, I mean, that's really the question is Aaron, is he showing his cards too soon? Um, I think what'll be interesting is going to be drivers like Dallas or Kyle Koretsky or even Mason McGahey, if they can, they have competitive cars, um, you know, particularly Kyle and, and uh and dallas those are good cars matt hartford a little hit and miss but we know he can party on the starting line yeah but it'll be interesting to see if some of those other younger drivers that have good cars you know can make that same run can do what aaron's doing right now but uh, if if you have to evaluate things now aaron is the guy that is going to be a thorn uh in greg anderson's side going into this countdown Amen to that. Tony Pedregon, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you this weekend in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, we'll find out how all the next chapter of this whole story plays out. I'll let you check out my weather, my cheap uh, phone app, because mine says 79 <laughs> high, and uh, and the lows are going to be like in the uh, in the mid to upper 50s. So, it, uh, then, of course, that racetrack, it's got quite a bit more bite than, oh, yeah. than Pomona. So we're not going to see as much tire smoke. We're not going to see... All the drop cylinders because they're pulling clutch out of it. Uh, I think I think we can expect some pretty good racing. So we'll see you there, Brian. All right, man. Thanks, Tony. And with those two chats complete, we really get ready to work our way into race mode as we head to Topeka, Kansas for the NHRA Menards Nationals presented by Pet Armor. It is going to be the kickoff of a back-to-back swing with Topeka, Kansas, followed immediately by Brainerd, Minnesota. You heard Josh Hart say that Brainerd's in the middle of nowhere, and he wasn't kidding. You land in Minneapolis and drive... Oh, a couple, three hours up into the land of Paul Bunyan and all those lakes. It is going to be a great stretch of a couple races. And as Tony mentioned, Topeka should be pretty fast. It is a, a historically a very fast racetrack. We can all remember back to 2017 where qualifying session one, Robert Height won 337. Qualifying session two, Matt Hagen won 338 when the race was kind of on for that 340 mile an hour run, which we have yet to see in the history of the sport. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And we have great television coverage, great television windows this weekend. If you're not going to be at the drag strip, I'd encourage you to tune in on Sunday on FS1, noon to 2. That's going to be our qualifying show, a two-hour qualifying show that will get you up to speed on everything that happened over the three rounds of qualifying starting on Friday night through Sunday morning. And then you're going to switch over to your local Fox affiliate on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern from 3 p.m. Eastern to 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox, we will be bringing you the great coverage of the elimination rounds of this event. We'll find out if anybody can start to really assert some domination in Funny Car. We'll find out if Steve Torrance can regain his championship form, that he had that first-round exit in Pomona, which is uncharacteristic, to say the least. We'll see what happens to him in in Topeka as well. So that's Sunday, noon to 2 for qualifying on FS1, and then 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Broadcast Network, your local Fox affiliate, for all the information and viewing of the elimination rounds. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week following up on Topeka and getting set up for a race up in Brainerd, Minnesota, and we'll be talking about the zoo and everything that goes along with it. 
We're getting close to Indy. We're getting close to seeing Josh Hart back on track, and the season is really beginning to heat up. In fact, when we leave Topeka, the regular season or the entire season will be 55% over, and the regular season will be about 85% over. We're speeding to the countdown, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll see you next week.